It's an irony that this has happened in a tech company. Bribery and favoritism have been a prevalent practice in recruiting for a long time, of course. But it's difficult to get the proofs. It's been happening many years, and people know that industry is well versed. They know that this is happening, but nobody is there to stop. This is not the last time you're going to hear about such issues. These are voices of HR experts as they reflect on what recently happened at India's largest IT company, TCS. Here's Chairman N. Chandrasekharan at the company's annual shareholders meeting last week. We received two whistleblower complaints towards end February and March, and both the whistleblower complaints were investigated. The complaints were about certain favoritism being done and favors being received in recruitment of BAs. The company has a set of BA, we call them business associate firms, the firms to get contract employees. There are a large number of BA firms who do business with TCS. There is a rigorous process in the company to recruit a firm or qualify a firm or empanel a firm to be called as a BA firm. And there are about little over 1,000 such firms across the globe because we need resources in 55 different countries. And in this case, complaints, one related to India, one related to the U.S., and we found six employees who did not follow the ethical conduct. So we have banned all the six employees and also the six companies. There are investigations pending on three more employees. The company will look at the whole BA supplier management process and see what the weaknesses are and will completely tighten the process to ensure that we do not have such incidents. The bribe for job scam, as everyone is calling it, is not something that is new to the world of recruitment. In a country with limited employment opportunities and high competition, making money while hiring people isn't surprising. Gifts, bribes, favours in kind, we have known it all. And not just in government jobs, but also in the private sector. So what's the big deal this time around? Two aspects specifically. For one, this has happened at one of the leading IT companies in the country that's part of a business group which is known for its governance and ethics. And secondly, this happened at a company that recruits over 50,000 people every year across the globe. In fact, this whole episode raises several questions on the recruitment function in Indian companies. Why is this still happening at a time when there is an overall increase in the audit and accountability in the companies? Are there any peculiar factors that allow this malpractice to thrive? What's the modus operandi? Is HR an overlooked function in an organization? And can tech be a solution? All this and much more in today's episode, which we call the Great Indian Job Jhol. It's Tuesday, July 4th, and I'm your host, Kiran Somanshi from The Economic Times. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Ganesh Sharman, K. Sudarshan and a bunch of HR professionals from companies as well as consultancy firms to bring to you the ringside view of the corruption in recruitment in India, Inc. This is The Morning Brief. 
India's job market has over 400 million people working. The unemployment rate is around 8%, and every year over 12 million people join the workforce. So the job seekers are many times more than the job givers. And this skewed arrangement is exploited by those in the recruitment process. Fundamentally bribes against services is not a new phenomena and recruitment as such can't be singled out. That's K Sudarshan, managing director India for executive search firm EMA Partners International. He discussed with my colleague Anirban Chaudhary the basic factors that allow malpractice to foster in large organizations. As a company side talent acquisition professional, you are dealing with hundreds of you know, recruitment firms or mom and pop shops and so on. You're always open to potential opportunities for somebody enticing you or opportunities for malpractice and so on. And recruitment and staffing, especially at the entry level, these are typically you know, high volume activities, largely dominated by uh, the unorganized sector and mostly by the uh, mom and pop shops. And uh, given the volumes, companies tend to work with hundreds of them, typically, on a non-exclusive basis. So this model by itself is prone to illegal gratification on the uh, side. And without proper checks and controls, or even if you have those checks and controls within the organization, sometimes it is very difficult to spot malpractices. And then there is also very little technology adoption, unfortunately, in this area. And then it's easy to perhaps manipulate the source of CVs and so on and so forth. So there were multiple ways in which they would skin the cat in terms of malpractices. So it is pretty uh, difficult to sort of spot unless there are some whistleblowers. And then I would also think perhaps TCS is not the first one to have faced this uh, issue and then will also not be the last one either unless we are seeing a radical change in the way organizations are viewing mass hiring or resource management as they call it. As Sudarshan pointed out, there are multiple ways of skinning the cat. My colleague Kalpana Pathak spoke to Dr. Ganesh Sharman, the managing partner of Advisory Channels, a capacity-building transaction advisory firm with operations in Canada, US and India. Dr. Sharman, how rampant is the practice of taking bribes as far as recruiting is concerned? The reality is Talent Resourcing and RMG or Resource Management Group hold significant power in offering jobs, global postings, and recommending candidates. They receive favors from both internal staff and external vendors, often working under high pressure to deliver quick results. This pressure can make corruption easier. All right. So what's the modus operandi? There are things like kickbacks, for example, for staffing and recruiting, for avoiding them contracts, securing placements. Fictitious invoices is another bad practice. Clients may collude with staffing vendors to create fictitious invoices for services that were never provided, or simply inflate the cost of services. Ghost employees is another extremely poor practice amongst the technology companies in particular. Clients may request staffing vendors to actually add fictitious or ghost employees to their payroll. The client that receives payments for these non-existent employees, while a portion of the funds is returned to the client as kickbacks. This happens in the infrastructure industry too, for that matter. Having said that, there are preferential treatments, and this can involve sharing sensitive information, predetermined selection criteria, or showing a level of favoritism uh, to a particular vendor. If a new staffing firm is attempting to enter these well-established setups, RMG or talent resourcing staff will assign an impossible hiring task and provide uncompetitive 
fee rates based on mass hiring performance of other vendors. They will also provide a very short notice to these new vendors of finding candidates for a near impossible job. Failing to find that difficult hire leads to exclusion, making it almost impossible for new agencies to get in. Another interesting aspect of this is ethnicity. Often those caught in such activities share a common link, such as long-term working relationships, ethnicity, and a hunger for power rather than professionalism. Are there specific industries that are more prone to corruption? Some specific industries, what for example, construction and infrastructure. The construction industry, particularly large-scale projects, can be susceptible to corrupt practices due to the involvement of multiple contractors, subcontractors, labor suppliers. This can, of course, lead to bribery, kickbacks, and, of course, the use of unqualified or underpaid workers. I've also seen healthcare industry, especially in countries with public healthcare systems such as Canada or the UK. And they face challenges related to corrupt practices in both staffing and recruiting. This can actually involve manipulation of hiring processes, embezzlement of funds, and unethical practices in the selection and placement of medical personnel, support staff, nurses, and so on. Hospitality and tourism is one another area in which an element of corruption definitely exists. This is simply because given the high turnover and reliance on temp and seasonal workers, the hospitality and tourism industry can be vulnerable to corrupt practices. No doubt, information technology continues to be a big issue. While it's not, of course, exclusive to the IT industry, wherever there is a high demand for skilled professionals and the prevalence of outsourcing, and outsourcing obviously means staffing and so on, this can involve the payment of bribes for placements, manipulation of qualifications and unfair selection processes. Does all this sound familiar? Well, that was a macro view. Let's take an example of one industry like aviation. My colleague Anirban Chaudhary, who has been covering the aviation industry for over a decade, revealed this to me. So, Kiran, India's aviation industry has had its fair share of irregularities, especially in the hiring of pilots, cabin crew and airport staff. This is a highly competitive and cyclical space. So when a new airline enters this space and is trying to expand or when demand is really high and all airlines are expanding, the threshold for hiring crew and airport staff is really low. And often then we see all sorts of people with uh, you know lower than desirable credentials enter via these mom and pop recruitment agencies. So when that preference happens, uh, it is often given on the basis of some kind of favor. Now, we've seen this happening across the industry, across airlines. In fact, several years back, I wrote a story on GoAir suspending a senior pilot who had allegedly selected 15 pilots out of turn. Having said all that, a lot of these practices have decreased to a large extent. We now have more responsible players in the market for one, and we also have a stricter regulatory body. We haven't heard of any instance of these malpractices in the last couple of years. While one sector may have seen a decline, the core problem is much more endemic. To get an HR manager's perspective on these issues, I spoke to Gauri Saple, who heads HR Governance, Risk and Compliance at cybersecurity firm Defensa Net Securities. She has been in the field of HR for more than a decade now. I mean, in the initial days, if I want to get entry into any organization, I'll be the one who will be paying. 
So uh, this used to happen. But then now there is some awareness. Candidate will not pay. If he pays, he will go and tell this to other people and then the news will be there that this is happening. So now it is more under table. It's through recruitment consultants because all the candidates go to recruitment consultant to get recruited. And this recruitment consultant, because they want the entry into an organization, because they want sustainability, because they want the business to grow and uh, keep on getting the requirements from that specific company, they will keep the HR happy. There is huge competition amongst this recruitment uh, firms as well. They offer some percentage. For example, if my charge is, uh, you know, 18%, 12% each candidate, I'll offer 2% to the HR. So you can imagine what would be the side income that HR will get. Most of the times, you know, background checks are also not, I would say uh, there are also malpractices. People, uh, if they want to onboard somebody, because if you are tied up with some of the organization for background check. So you're mm-hmm. also, they try and uh, start the malpractices. Are please, uh, I want to onboard this candidate. So please give me the team chair. So this is also what is happening. Right. And the, another thing was about, you know, do you think that because of this practice, merit gets compromised while recruiting? Indeed, indeed. So you have... Uh, Four candidates and one is excellent, another is okay, third is good for nothing, but still you'll compromise because you want that ex-candidate to be onboarded, not the one who deserves the job, who deserves this opportunity. It is happening. And then these people ends up, good skill set ends up joining some small, growing or small organization. So that's again one of the tragedy that we lose good people. This is wrong though. I mean, it's it's very unfortunate to talk about these practices in HR, being an HR. But it, it's been happening many years. And people know that. Uh, insiders know that. Even, even industry is well-versed. They know that this is happening. But nobody is there to stop. There's nobody to stop till a whistle is blown. I wanted to understand this malpractice from the other side as well. So I reached out to a freelance HR consultant who spoke to me on the condition of anonymity. Often, HR managers or head of recruitment develop good rapport with owners of consultants and share the revenue on each placement, wherein candidates from that consultancies are given preference. You will see when HR managers change jobs, they empanel same consultants with whom they have worked earlier. Some might be genuine recruiters, but uh, there are also cases they give preference to their own contacts in the market to generate um, extra income. And old consultants are sidelined. Sometimes uh, even HR managers share the suitable candidates' data with the consultants and share the billing. But it's difficult to get the proofs. And that's the key challenge. The proof or the lack of it. These are transactions happening outside the company's accounting systems based on human interaction and it is simply difficult to distinguish between a genuine transaction and a tainted one. Of course, technology can come in handy, as Sudarshan tells Anirban. These are easy issues to fix when with uh, technology and some companies have already fixed it in terms of good practices where there are timestamps to uploading of a particular profile and they've automated this entire process. So if you're able to map each and every activity to a particular time when it is happening, who is referring the CV and when is it getting processed and so on and so forth, if it's all tech enabled, then there is there could be very little opportunity for malpractice. 
just uh, as an aside, tell me a little bit about the marketplace that you guys are planning. What we have done is actually we have invested in a tech-led marketplace. The startup called MyRCloud.com, mm-hmm. so which is technology-led marketplace for uh, recruitment. It consolidates the recruiters at one level at the back end which is the small recruiters, the mom-and-pop shops or freelancers and so on. And it consolidates the client side, client end demand on the other side. So assume if you are a company which wants to say recruit a thousand people, the roles are opened on the platform along with the job description and so on and so forth. And then these jobs get opened on to the recruiters who are listed on the marketplace. So they will get access to these jobs and they actually source profiles and they will upload on the platform. So it's completely technology-enabled, hands-free platform. And and then hence, there's very little human intervention which happens from the other side, from the company side. So basically, we are eliminating opportunities for uh, malpractices in this entire process. You spoke about tech and, you know, the necessity of more tech to stop these malpractices. Now, that raises a little bit of a red flag to me because we've seen this the biggest case in the last few years in TCS, which is actually a tech company. See, I think it's its human nature is just to short circuit the process. And then for it's an irony that this has happened in a tech company is also the fact that the moment you adopt technology, there is a sense of loss of power. And hence there is a little bit of resistance in organizations. And then that push has to come from the top. So with TCS, uh, you know, as some sort of a test case where we have seen this happen, I would be glad to see if companies actually, there is a push from the top, right from the CEOs or CXOs to say that how can we streamline the process here at the uh, lower end and bring in more quicker adoption of tech in the system in order to say where is the source, how is the CV sourced, how hands-free is the process, how can you eliminate favoritism, So there are great opportunities for the entire recruitment as a process to be transformed. Are you saying the checks and balances aren't there now? Since it is a low involvement activity for the senior teams, there are always a lot of gaps in the process. And uh, typically, the leaders are actually looking at the outcomes. Is the organization able to hire X number of people at X amount of cost? and X amount of time. So people are looking at it. Even there, there are so many inefficiencies in the process. Like? So the inefficiencies would be to say, today, if if you are to recruit one person, your companies may end up interviewing 100 people. Or or you may call 100 people, you will end up hiring one. Uh, In fact, companies have actually built in in-house recruitment armies, which are, again, waste of resources. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of inefficiencies. I mean, it is largely to the fact that many companies don't consider recruitment as a core activity where there is senior leadership focus. You know, I'm talking of recruiting at the junior levels. So we see this as a challenge. Interesting. Yeah, that's also the reason why suddenly this issue has blown up on the face in a company like TCS. At least I've heard at least in one or two multinational technology companies, we've seen this similar issues actually cropping up in terms of malpractices. So as I said, this is not the last time you're going to hear about such uh, issues. But with this issue getting such massive public attention, do you think that there is some change in the offing, either on the regulatory front, uh, you know, or individual companies? I think every time to call a regulator for fixing an internal company issue is not the right thing to do. Correct. Uh, Because there is very little what a regulator can do with this. Here it is more in terms of clearly uh, adopting best practices, adopting technology. 
taking a complete relook at the way this entire hiring is done you know the entire program then such malpractices can easily be plugged using technology on a platform so this can be fixed i don't think it's an it's an issue it's only that it lacked senior management focus with this episode blowing up on the face i would think that this would receive a lot of senior management focus or attention i asked gauri the same question and she had a different take on this do you think the industry will take note of this overall and companies will kind of gear up and do something about it yes they should i would rather say it will be an eye opener for everyone people will at least not stop but then they would be uh, choosy about doing such things the uh, number of bad practices will come down but these things are uh, you know will will not be stopped uh, completely it will still keep on happening unless and until certain controls are taken over by certain other departments background verification should be rooted through internal audit the agreements and other terms should be only looked by legal hr should not come into picture when we onboard the recruitment firms but such things will actually reduce the power or significance of hr will not because you have other jobs to do right you are still in the focus area the development of people i don't know why hr should need the finances to be routed through them i don't know why background verification should be routed through them i mean there has to be a maker checker everywhere and you cannot expect hr to do everything and if you are expecting hr to do everything then this false practice you have to accept it is bound to happen i was curious to know how these functions have evolved globally in multinational companies and dr sherman had the answer The MNCs that I have seen here establish pretty comprehensive policies and procedures, and they often align with local and international anti-corruption laws. I'll give you an example: Foreign Corrupt Practices Act (FCPA) in the U.S. actually help ensure employees understand the legal boundaries and the consequences of engaging in corrupt practices. In multinational corporations, both in the U.S. and Canada, their structures and punishments for unethical practices are often extremely severe. Indian companies sometimes tend to adopt a different approach when faced with allegations or issues they often resort to denial media management containment efforts issuing press notes and stage managing the situation without prima facie conducting a thorough investigation to start with they just a rush to actually go out into the marketplace and say something before you actually have your story together the approach in north america is typically different if unethical practices are discovered and the consequences are likely to be severe the individuals involved are simply fired having internal controls and making sure that there are sufficient checks and balances in place to monitor financial transactions vendor relationships and procurement process becomes critical another area is anti corruption training and awareness mncs similar to many very large indian companies have whistleblower mechanisms and there are sufficient whistleblower protection to safeguard employees from retaliation extremely exhaustive due diligence checks when engaging with vendors and business practices i would probably say one of the most critical things is demonstrated ethical leadership if ethics is led from the top normally down the chain of command ethics is normally tend to get followed so dr shaman what measures can be taken to prevent this kind of corruption several measures can actually be taken companies that lack long term vendor relationships are a good starting point for investigating potential nexus 
or unethical practices. I think when appointing staffing or recruiting agencies, it's advisable to choose agencies with a long track record in the business. Imagine if you had a vendor who's been working with you for 25 years, 30 years, then that vendor has actually passed the test of multiple years of supervision, multiple people supervising them. I also believe it's essential to professionalize the resource management group within companies. Currently, in many companies, RNG is staffed with individuals who have inside knowledge of the company, its businesses, and its leaders, leading to the formation of close-knit groups, cliques, and other forms of coalitions. In certain firms, RMG departments are predominantly staffed by Indians or individuals of Indian origin. Expats are rarely allowed to lead RMG, and playing favorites becomes a way to assemble their own teams, consisting of people they know and have worked with before. Employees aspiring for global jobs or wanting to avoid being on the bench try to build a rapport with RMG. And I've also seen sometimes there are violations against immigration with short-term posting violations related to, let's say, B1, B2 visa norms in the U.S. I think it's important to break this pattern. And it's crucial to shift towards a merit-based assignment and posting process that should be implemented to ensure fairness and eliminate favoritism. It's also equally critical to actually bring in people who are new and who have the ability and the courage to ask questions. Another interesting best practice is hiring external specialists to oversee and monitor practices within the company. I believe the banking industry generally maintain better internal control and ethical practices compared to some tech body shopping firms. Indian companies often enter crisis management mode, attempting to hush up any incidents. However, it's vital to name and shame those involved in corruption. Zero tolerance for corruption cannot be merely stated in value statements. It must be demonstrated through actions. Fear is a powerful deterrent, and the companies that show zero tolerance policies and act upon them are rewarded by the market. Transparency and disclosure are crucial as attempts to suppress information are often futile given the scrutiny for the market and the media. The temptation of making that extra income on the side, exploiting a situation, is a social bane in India. We see it playing out in different spheres of public life around us. However, we do expect large Indian companies with global operations and workforce to be above such reproach. But the TCS incident has punctured that belief. It also shows that despite all the policies and procedures in place, there is enough slip between the cup and the lip. To the company's credit, TCS did respond seriously to the whistleblower's complaints. But how many Indian companies have a culture that encourages whistleblowing in the first place? And in such cases of personal gratifications, who will blow the whistle? The people in the HR department or the HR consultants? or the employees getting hired, especially when all have vested interests in maintaining the status quo. Of course, technology adoption, better oversight of the HR function and effective anti-corrupt policies all can help control the menace. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to the corporate culture and the messaging from the top. Basically, how much is the management okay in turning a blind eye towards individual acts of wrongdoing that don't necessarily have financial implications for the company. 
and does it indeed walk the talk on having zero tolerance towards malpractices in a way it's good that this incident has come out in the open it will prompt indian companies at least the best ones to review their processes and weed out the bad apples so that's it for today this is kiran somanchi from the economic times and you were listening to the great indian job jhol only on the morning brief a special thank you to our guest dr ganesh sharman k sudarshan gauri saple the hr consultants i spoke to and my colleagues anirban choudhary and kalpana patel this episode was brought to you by sound editor rajesh nayak and producer surohini jain executive producers anupriya nayar anirban choudhary and arijit barman If you like this episode do share it on your social media networks. A new episode of the Morning Brief podcast drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Don't miss it. It streams on Amazon Prime Music, Jio Seven, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. And of course it is own audio platform ET Play. Have a great week ahead.